The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning. I want to encourage you, if you have your Bible with you today, if you would open it to Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. Probably the easiest way to follow along in what we're going to be doing this morning, however, is going to be to use the YouVersion app. We're going to be looking at lots of different verses as we've done throughout this month of January. In our anchor text throughout this month for this series called Transformation, Renewing Your Mind, is Romans 12, verses 1 to 2. And I'm just going to read that for us. And so, dear brothers and sisters... I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. As I said, this month we've been talking about the concept of transformation, being transformed by the renewing of our minds, allowing God to transform us by the renewing of our minds. And the way that we've kind of framed it up is God uses several different things. God uses actually lots of different things to bring about that transformation inside of us. And we've, we've talked about four. The first one we talked about was the gathering we gather, when we gather, we find strength and encouragement in our collective faith. So when we, when we do this, we see other Christians, we see other people that worship the same God that we do, and we find encouragement, we find strength, knowing that we're not alone on this journey of life. When we give generously, it's an act of worship that shapes our hearts to reflect God's generosity. This is transformation. God uses our generous giving to transform us. When we serve selflessly, we mirror God's example, allowing us to embody his love and bring about transformation within ourselves and in our community. So when we serve selflessly, we meet the needs of other people. And uh, Becky talked about that so well this morning, talking about Embrace Grace. What a tremendous opportunity to serve 20 or 30 moms in our community. What a tremendous opportunity that we have to give of ourselves in the midst of that. And today we're going to talk about what it means to go and how going transforms us. When we go, we take this transformed life beyond our comfort zones. We take it beyond these walls and we impact the world around us and we spread the transformative power of God's love. That's what it means to go, to be transformed by the going, to take what we learn here and what we talk about here or in small groups or Bible studies, all of those things, and we go outside of the walls. At the beginning of this series, we talked about just the concept of gathering, and there were, there were seven reasons that we gathered, and we only talked about five of them, and I said we're going to talk about the last two, and that's today, but I wonder if you remember what five of those seven reasons were. We gather to stir up one another. So when we gather together as Christians, we come into this space or small groups or Bible studies so that, we can be, so that we can be provoked to go out and serve. So that we can be provoked to go out and meet needs. So that we can have our hearts stirred. When we hear 
that there are 20 to 30 moms who are going to be participating in Embrace Grace, that, that ought to stir our hearts. That ought to fill us with, with a desire to take action that stirs us up. We gather to hear God's word. That's the second reason. That's why we spend so much time reading through scripture and talking about scripture on Sunday mornings. It's why we look for songs with lyrics that, that are not only directly from scripture, but are reflective of scripture because we gather to hear God's word. We gather to sing together. It's an opportunity for us to demonstrate community and demonstrate unity. We gather to pray together. We get together on a Sunday morning or Bible study or small group, Sunday school. We do these things so that we can pray together, so that we can be unified in our prayers. That's why we create those prayer guides every single month to be a people who are, who are praying the exact same things together. It's praying in unity. And then lastly, as we talk then, we gather to celebrate the gospel through the ordinances. And, and as, a, as Westway Christian Church, there are two ordinances that we celebrate. We celebrate communion together weekly, the Lord's Supper. We, we celebrate that weekly. And we also celebrate the ordinance of baptism. That's something that we do as a body. When, when someone is ready to place their faith in Christ following the New Testament example, what we see is people were baptized, people were immersed into Christ. So we celebrate that. But if we're not careful, like those five things, listen to them again. We gather to stir up one another, hear God's word, sing together, pray together, and celebrate the gospel in the ordinances. If we're not careful... What we have created in just those five things is kind of a club. Kind of a thing where we just come and, and we just do this together. And, and we, might, we might hear those five things or read through those five things and think that those five things are just all about us. And there's this temptation that we have where we can be, we can be inwardly focused, where we can be insular in the way that we think about the gospel. So we gather together and we do these things and, and then we maybe just leave and think, well, I've, I, I've, I've done those five things. I've, I, I'm experiencing transformation through those things. I've, I've gone, I've heard God's word, I've prayed together, and then I just go about, my, go about my daily life when I walk out the door on a Sunday morning. But the purpose of the Christian life, as much as, as, much as the gathering is those five things, it's not only those five things. There are, there are two more and that's what we're going to talk about today. We gather to reach outsiders and we gather to scatter. So as we think what, about what we do here on a Sunday morning, which I know is a little, maybe it's a little disorienting to call a sermon um, going leads to our transformation and talk about the gathering. When we gather together, we have, we have lots of things on our minds. And two of those things are gathering to reach outsiders and gathering to scatter. So when we're here, what we want to do is reach people who don't know Jesus. And then when we leave, we're not just going to our homes to go back to life as normal. We're leaving here and we're going to our homes to proclaim that gospel. And in fact, when, when Jesus was going to ascend to heaven, he, he gathered all of his disciples together 
And this is Matthew 28, um, verses 18 through 20. He says, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always to the end of the age. See, Jesus, because Jesus is God, um, not just because he studied the Old Testament, but because Jesus is God, Jesus understands and understood the, the, the tendency of these, of these apostles, of these 11 men at this point, because there hadn't been a 12th one added to the group after Judas yet. Because he understands the tendency of these apostles, what they're going to want to do is they're going to want to congregate. They're going to want to gather together. And they're going to want to stay fo- focused inwardly. So what Jesus does is he tells them, now your job is to go out and make disciples. That's your ministry. That's your mission. That's your purpose. To go into all the nations and make disciples of them. And as we said last week, and I know this is going to be a little bit of a review for those who are here last week, but this, this isn't something that was new to them. And if it sounded new, it's only because the people were disobedient to it. So we talked last week, and I'm going to read them again. It's Genesis 1, verses 26 to 28. This is at the beginning of time. God gives his people, the people that he's created, he's given them a mission. He's given them a purpose. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, All the wild animals on the earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Here it is. This is the the Genesis 1, 26 to 28 version of the Great Commission. Be fruitful and multiply. That sounds an awful lot like go and make disciples, doesn't it? Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. That sounds an awful lot like teach them to obey all the things that I'm telling you. Reign over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and all the animals that scurry along the ground. See, God gave mankind when he created humanity, he gave them a mission, he gave them a purpose. It wasn't just to focus on themselves. He didn't just set them in the garden and say, well, enjoy the food. He told them to take care of it. And then Genesis 2, verse 15, the Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. Again, there's mission. There's purpose. There's a task at hand. There's something that we are called to do. We are to, we are to participate in something. We are to work. I really like 2 Corinthians 5.20. This is what Paul tells the church in Corinth. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. See, Paul is telling the Corinthian church the same thing that Jesus told the apostles, which is the exact same thing that God told Adam and Eve. 
We are representatives of God. And what we are supposed to do is we are supposed to go. We are supposed to be ambassadors. We are Christ's ambassador. And an ambassador simply proclaims the message of the government that he or she works for. This is what an ambassador is. And we, what Paul is telling the church in Corinth, we as Christians are Christ's ambassadors. So we have a message. And the message that we share is the message that Christ tells us to share. And we're going to get back into 1 Corinthians next week. And one of the things that we have to grasp that was taking place in Corinth was just the fact that they were following all of these different false gospels. They didn't understand the gospel. And because they didn't understand the, the real gospel, and because they were following all of these other false gospels, they were ambassadors for the wrong kingdom. They were ambassadors for the Corinthian way of life. And what God is calling us to do is to, is to go and to tell others and not just come in here and, and be satisfied with, with the music or be satisfied with the message or be satisfied with the prayer time or to think, okay, well, I've, I've done the ordinance of communion today so I can check that off my list for the week. See, if we're not careful, we make it about those things, but God has more for us. We are gathered to reach outsiders. This is John 13, 35. Jesus says this, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. This is at the end of Jesus's life. This is the, this is the night that he's betrayed and, and it's, it's deep in this multiple chapter final instructions that he's giving to his disciples before he's betrayed, before he's executed. And what he tells them is, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Your love for one another. Not how much you read your Bible, although reading your Bible is important. Not how many times you pray, although praying is important. What Jesus is telling his apostles is the marker, the thing that's going to win non-believers over is the way that you love one another. So we gather together to reach outsiders because when we're in this place, we have a huge opportunity to love one another. And when unbelievers come into this place, they are watching to see how we love one another. They're watching to see how would we talk to one another? How do we look at one another? How do we interact with one another? This is, this is how we reach outsiders and I wonder, do you remember the first time you walked into a new church building? Do you remember what that experience was like? Do you remember what it was like to attend as an outsider? And you were paying attention to, to all of the things that were taking place and you probably felt a little uncomfortable because you didn't, you know, you didn't fit in. And this is why Becky talked about this a little earlier, this is one reason why we, we ask you to come a few minutes early so that we can interact with one another. So we have the opportunity to interact with one another. One of the reasons that we don't know one another is because we don't know one another. 
And the only way to fix that is to interact with one another. And sure, we can do that in lots of ways. But this is a huge opportunity to gather together on a Sunday morning and demonstrate love for one another. Because there are only five or only seven days in the week. I know it seems like there are only five, but there's actually seven days in the week. I just gave you two more days. Wasn't that nice? Like there are only seven days in the week. And I know what my schedule is like. You know what your schedule is like. And it can be hard to have interactions with people amidst the million things of our busy schedules. And here is this one space, this one time where we can gather together, where we can be together. And you might have to come a few minutes early and you'll have the opportunity to actually get to talk to someone. And we want to we want to take advantage of that. First Corinthians 14, 23 to 25 says this, even so, if unbelievers or people who don't understand these things come into your church meeting. So, so one of the things that we need to get is the church is designed, the church gathering is designed to reach people who are not Christians. They're coming is what Paul is saying. Even so, if unbelievers or people who don't understand these things come into your church meetings and hear everyone speaking in an unknown language, they will think you are crazy. Okay, this isn't only about speaking in tongues. We're going to talk more about this in a second. But if all of you are prophesying and unbelievers or people who don't understand these things come into your meeting, they will be convicted of the sin and judged by what you say. Did you hear that? If they come into your meeting... And everything you're doing doesn't make any sense to them. They're going to think you're nuts. But if they understand what's taking place, what Paul is telling the church is they're going to hear the gospel. They're going to be convicted of their sin. They're going to feel judged by what we say. And as they listen, their secret thoughts will be exposed and they will fall to their knees and worship God, declaring God is truly here among you. Isn't that what we want to have happen on a Sunday morning? To be a place where, where, we're, not, where we're not so wrapped up in insider language and insider communication and not talking to one another, but we're a place where, where people cannot just hear the gospel through the words of the person up here or the words in the songs that we sing or the words in the prayers, but they experience the gospel in the way that we love one another. See, we are, we are to consider unbelievers as we gather. We are to take them into consideration. And what that looks like for us is we have to think about the words that we use. We have to think about the way that we talk about things. And this, this is something we probably spend a portion of at least one staff meeting a month talking about this. How, how, can we, how can we explain what we're doing? How can we communicate what we're doing to people? How can we help people? I'm going to use a word that is going to make some of you uncomfortable. How can we help people who aren't Christians feel comfortable in our space? And that is not about sin. It is about do people understand what we're talking about? Are we making any sense? Several months ago, we went to, Ann and I went to go see my dad and his wife in Virginia. We went to church on Sunday morning. And 
like they, we were welcomed, like it was absolutely great. But then something weird happened. Happened at during communion time. They they had a like an image on the screen, and the person said something like, "So now we're going into our time of communion," and for like three minutes that was it. Now, you know, I've been in church for a while, so I get the concept of communion. But all I could think about was, man, if, if someone, is an, is, if someone is, is, is an outsider, if someone's not a Christian, what are they supposed to do during this time? What are they supposed to be thinking? What, what action are we wanting them to take? So as we think about as, as a church, we have, to, we have to help people understand what's taking place here. And, and maybe there are times where that can get a little bit old for, for us who've been around the block a few times, who've been here at Westway for a few years. But it can be really hard for people who, who don't understand the whole church thing to know what's going on. So we want to we wanna take outsiders into account in what we do. And a question that I have for, for you, if you are, if you are a Christian, have you, have you considered that not everything we do is tailored for you as a believer? Do you let that question think in, sink in for a moment? I would like for you to consider that, that, that not everything we do is tailored for you as a believer. What would it be like for you to come to church on Sunday morning? To come to the 1015 gathering, to go for you to go to small group, for you to go to Bible study. And and your job is to just serve other people. What would that be like for you? Rather than thinking, oh man, I really hope I get something out of church today. Or when we leave, I didn't get anything out of church today. What would it be like for you to consider that not everything we do is tailored for you? See, we're actually thinking about non-believers. We ought to care about what other believers think of us. This is not about sin. This is about how are we welcoming people? How are we loving people? How are we serving people? How are we engaging people who aren't believers? This ought to, this ought to matter. A favorite quote of mine is, is by, um, by Jenny Acuff. You may not know who that is. You may have heard of John Acuff. He's a, he's a speaker. And his wife, one time, they were, they were talking after church, and she said something to the effect of, you know, I really hope we keep playing music that, that I don't know. And he said, oh, yeah, why, why is that? And then her response was, because that means that God is using music for other people's benefit, and that's helping them to become disciples. What would it be like for us as a church to sacrifice our wants and our needs and our desires for the sake of other people, for the sake of people who don't know Jesus? What would it be like for us as a church to sacrifice our preferences because the music that we listen to speaks to someone else? We are gathered to reach outsiders. 1 Corinthians 4, 11 to 12 says this, Make it your goal to live a quiet life, minding your own business and working with your hands, just as we instructed you before. Then people who are not believers will respect the way you live and you will not need to depend on others. 
What Paul is telling the church at Thessalonica, all of you introverts, is to go home and we never want to see you for a week. What he's telling us is we have to be mindful of the way that we interact with other people. People are paying attention to us. And we're going to talk more about this over the next several weeks as we go back into 1 Corinthians chapters 5, 6, and 7. Starts next week. We're going to, we're going to talk about some pretty important things in those chapters. And then as we go through the rest of this year, which we is going to be insane. You may not have heard this, but it's an election year. We are going to have the opportunity every single day from now until Inauguration Day 2025 to live out this instruction. Our purpose in gathering is not primarily for us even though we need it. Our purpose in gathering is not primarily for us, even though we need it. It's not even for the sake of our church family, even though we need it. Purpose in gathering is for the sake of the lost. It's that people can walk into this place, into our small groups, into our Bible studies, and hear the gospel. And if you don't believe that, here's Mark 2.17. When Jesus heard this, here's what's going on in Mark 2, 17. Matthew has just become, Levi, a.k.a. Matthew, has just become a Christian. And Matthew was a tax collector. And Matthew throws this big party because he's just become a follower of Jesus. And he invites all of the wrong people. One of the versions talks about, um, the word just slipped my mind. Don't you love it when that happens? Talks about all the really bad sinners, the prostitutes and the other tax collectors. And, and the Pharisees are looking into that and they're saying, oh, I can't believe that Jesus is hanging out with all those people. I can't believe that Jesus would spend his time talking to those people. And Jesus says this, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I've come to call not those who think they're righteous, but those who know they are sinners. So I'm going to dip my toe in this little conversation. Maybe you're wondering, why would we have a ministry called Embrace Grace to people in the plan of unplanned pregnancy? Why would we do that? Why would we celebrate their sin? You read the Bible? Our job is to be here for the sick. To be here for people who are sinners. Like, that's why we do it. This is our ministry. And then the second reason, the last reason we gather, we gather to scatter. This is James 1.22, and it says this, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. We don't just gather in this place to hear God's word and to sing songs and hear what it says and be like, oh, the Bible's so great. I got my wonderful piece of advice for the week. We're called to not just listen to the word. We're called to do what it says. This is what Matthew 9, 35 to 38 says. Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. 
two-second sidebar, when we look at the world, when we look at people who don't know Jesus, and we see all of the things that they're wrapped up in, all the chaos, death, and destruction of their lives, and the sin that's going in their lives, our primary emotion ought to be compassion. Compassion. Not judgmentalism. Not self-righteousness. Compassion. So Jesus sees this. He sees the crowds. He has compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd, confused and helpless. And he says to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. So he wants his disciples to pray these things in the hopes that they would realize, oh, we're the disciples, we're the harvesters, we're the workers. See, when we get together as Christians and we, we, we gather and we, we do these things on a Sunday morning, we are the workers. We're, we're not praying for other people to come along and do the work for us. God has gathered us, and this is 1 Corinthians 12. I think we're going to be there in July of this year. But God has assembled the body in the way that he sees fit. We are the workers. We're here. He has them. We have everything that we need. And what we're to do is to take this transformed life out of this place and into our relationships outside of this place into our neighborhoods and the places we work and our schools and the places we eat and the places we shop. And we're to live as though we've been transformed. We're to act as though we've been transformed. So we want to be the church that God calls us to be. And it's not just, it's not just a church that proclaims Jesus as Lord. Right? If you walk out into the lobby, our mission to proclaim Jesus as Lord that is not something we just say. We proclaim Jesus as Lord in the way that we live our lives. We are to demonstrate that Jesus is Lord. And this is going to require effort on our part. It's going to require work on our part to be demonstrators that Jesus is Lord. And this is sacrifice this is going to cost us something. This is what Paul says in Romans 12, verses 1 to 2. To present yourselves as a living sacrifice. To know what he calls us to. To give up the things that we want and do what he wants. And then we ask the question, well, how do we know what he wants? Well, he tells us, he says, if, if you allow me to transform your mind, you will know exactly what there is to do. It will be clear to you. And when we, when we don't participate in these means that God uses to transform us, when we don't participate in the gathering or give generously or serve selflessly or we don't go, well, what we're indicating is, is we're just like the church at Corinth. We, we misconceive the gospel. We don't understand the gospel. The past three weeks, we've talked about the behaviors and customs of the world as it comes to gathering and giving and, and serving. 
And it's really crucial to understand, I said this earlier, it's really crucial to understand that when we don't do that, it's not just, it's not just we get this wrong. It means that we're following a false gospel. The false gospel of I give so that I get something. That's a, that's a false gospel. And we're indicating when we, when we don't participate in the way that God desires to transform us, we're indicating that we're living out a false gospel. We misconceive the gospel. And this was the main problem at the church in Corinth. They didn't understand the gospel. And it affected everything that they did. It had to. Because their wrong belief led to their wrong actions. And God makes transformation possible, available to us by inviting us to participate in his plan. And again, we're only going to know what that is if we make the sacrifice. If we indicate a willingness to join him in what he's doing, that's how we learn what God's will is for us. And I know that many of us have that question. I think I talk about it the exact same way every single time. What is God's will for me? Where am I supposed to live? What job am I supposed to have? Who am I supposed to marry? What is God's will? What is God's will? What is God's will? What is God's will? Well, his will is for you to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. His will is for you to go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teach these new disciples all to obey. That's like the key phrase in that, like to obey. Notice he doesn't just say, teach these new disciples all of the commands I've given you. That would have been really nice, huh? We get to memorize that. But what Jesus says is, teach these new disciples to obey. To obey all that I've commanded you. And we are the fruit of their obedience. Have you ever thought about that? That the reason that we're sitting in this room today as followers of Christ is because there was a whole ton of people throughout history who were obedient to God's word. Who heard this call, this great commission, and they were obedient to it. And this is what we're called to do today. And I've shared with you over the past month now, like how, how, has, how gathering has impacted me, how gathering transformed me, how giving transformed me, how serving transformed me. And going is the exact same thing. Going transformed me. We got connected to Marysville Christian Church. We kind of had that, we had that loop, right? Like we started to gather faithfully. We heard the gospel. We accepted Jesus as our Lord. We were immersed because because that's what we that's what we that's what we are called to do. That's what the Bible said. And and as I've shared, no matter how many times I tried to get out of it, like there was no getting out of it, because that's just what the Bible says. And then we then we started to give over time and then we learned that we needed to give generously over time and then we started to serve over time and that that began with that Mexico mission trip and then I remember I got I, I after I went so I, I I was going on that Mexico mission trip and then after I went like I I got I got I goad I goad more involved in their student ministry Every Sunday night involved me going to the Marysville Christian Church building and going to youth group. 
And then one year I, I went to CIY. And this was the year where they were, one of the years where they were talking about the call was to go into, voca- go, was to go into vocational ministry, like paid ministry. And if that's you tonight, we want you to come forward so we can pray for you. And I'm pretty sure I was the only 28-year-old up front. Amidst 15, 16, 17-year-olds, like I was 28 years old. Because I felt like God was calling me into vocational ministry. And I, and I didn't know that that was going to take seven years. But I, I had to go. I heard what God was saying and I had to go. I had to do something. And then we, then we ended up, we, we, a few years later, we ended up in, in northwest Iowa. And we were working, serving at a church there, like bivocationally. And we went to a youth ministry conference. And I was surrounded by people who had given their lives to, to vocational ministry. And the whole eight hours home from Joplin, we talked about like how it is. At this point, I'm 33 years old. At this point, like how does a 33-year-old go into ministry? Then I went back to Bible college. See, this life, this transformation requires us going. That's how that transformation worked in my life was I had to go. When I heard those little voices, those still small voices, like I had to be obedient to it. And that's, it's wacky for a 33-year-old to go back to Bible college, I'm just going to tell you. Three kids at home, a mortgage. Aaron knows what I'm talking about. It's wacky as a 33-year-old to go and do what God tells us to. But this is how he works. And then it was go to Cedar Rapids, and then it was go to Illinois, and then it was go to Minnesota, and then it was go to Scott's Bluff. Jury's still out on that one. Like, we have to go where God tells us to go. We have to be obedient to what God tells us to do. This is how he transforms us. And for us, the, the, very, the very first step of that, of that transformation was hearing the gospel, hearing the Bible, wanting to follow Christ, and then going into the baptismal. Like, that was our call. Like, and again, I, I've shared this, like, all of the ways I tried to come up with, like, why, like, why should I be baptized? I don't need to do that. I was sprinkled as a child. I don't need to do that. Yeah, well, what happens if, let's say we're walking up to the baptistry and I slip and fall and I hit my head and I die. Am I going to heaven? Like every single reason, like I just tried to come up with them all. And what I had to do, what we had to do, was just submit to what God called us to. If you're, if you're not a follower here and, you, and, you're, and you're hearing this, if you're not a follower of Jesus and you're hearing all of this, like your first step is to accept Christ and to be baptized. Like that's your first step. That's one. And then, you know what? Hold on. Because you don't know what's going to happen next. When, when we made that decision at, at, for me, 26 years old, I had no idea 
that 27 years later, I did that math, 27 years later, I was going to be doing this. Like, it just wasn't even the plan. It wasn't even what I had imagined. But it was a series of God calling me to be faithful, calling me to be faithful, calling me to be faithful, calling me to be faithful. And there was a lot of disobedience in there of not wanting to do what God wanted me to do. But this transformation begins when we accept Jesus as our Lord. This transformation begins when we are baptized, because that's what he says. Go, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. So if you're not a follower today, if you're not a Christian today, I want to invite you to do that. We're going to give you some space in a minute. But I want to invite you to be baptized, to make that choice. If you are a Christian today and you are not, you are not experiencing the transformation that God has for you. And, and, and we talk about that in gathering, giving, serving, and going. Like if you're, if you're not being transformed by those things, I would like for you to consider why. I would like for you to consider are there areas in your life that, that you are not allowing and agreeing with God to transform you? And the, the response in that case, the response is for us, that's, that's sinfulness. To, to know what we ought to do and to not do it, that's a sin. What we ought to do is repent of that. And then ask the Holy Spirit to give us what we need so that we can be obedient to what God wants. This is our response as Christians. When we sin, we repent and we ask God to give us what we need through the power of the Holy Spirit. What we're going to do is we're going to have, as we've done the past couple weeks, we're going to put some questions on the screen that we just want you to, we want you to think about, meditate on, reflect on. Kayla's going to play a little music in the background. I'll be up to pray in a couple minutes. So take a few minutes and reflect.
if you would like to be baptized today, you can come meet me right over here during our, during our song. So let's pray together. God, I'm thankful for the opportunity that we have to gather this morning. Help us to see what our responsibility is towards, towards outsiders, toward those who do not know your son, Jesus. Help us to see what our responsibility is to you to go out and make disciples. I pray for those who have been considering this decision for, for a while, that just today would be the day. That they would choose to enter into a relationship with you so that they might be transformed. So that they might be the kind of people that you call them to be. People who found healing. People who found hope. People who have found you. And it's in your son's name I pray. Amen.